evening, everyone. <laughs> um, right, just get organized. Um, just while we were praying, I was thinking about that scripture where Jesus said, um, um, you know, the, the life that's been given to me, I decide when I lay, lay it down and when I pick it up again. And it's just such a powerful statement. But more than that, that is Christ's reality. And that is a reality that he wants all of us to really live from, to understand that the life that's been given to us, that no circumstances or things outside of it can demand it from us. And that we actually have the power in us to literally lay it down as a drink offering. And I think this uh, powerful reality really starts and comes from that first beatitude, poor in spirit. Um, and so I, I thought I'd, I'd like to start with um, the, the very first verse before Matthew 5. Um, let me just get organized here. Oh, okay. I didn't put it. I didn't put a bookmark, so I'm just going to leave it. But it, it talks about how Jesus, um, it says that uh, when he saw the multitudes, he made his way up to the mountain. He went up to the mountain, and there he sat. And the disciples came to him, and then he spoke. And the first beatitude, he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for these is the kingdom. And I thought, you know, true Jesus... He taught with his life, and that very that very verse of him um, going up to the mountain, and it comes right off the back of him spending time or his days before that ministering on the ground, doing miracles, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and he's doing this daily activity on the ground, and yet. Everyone, the masses who could see from afar the things he was doing, the activities, it was the followers that followed him up the mountain. Because what he did in the day, his activity in the day, came and was directed from what he heard from the top. What he heard from the top. And the Beatitudes to me are so, what I love about them is it's the attitudes that we are to have towards God and to have towards people. Just as Jesus lived with these attitudes towards his Father and these attitudes towards us as his people. And I love that it says he went up to this mountain to where this higher view is, this place where the disciples would come up and see from a higher view. And it's from, from sitting that he taught. And I love that posture of sitting. I love that posture of sitting because I, I, I feel like it's the position that the poor in spirit know best. It's the place where they, it was the first place they found themselves at the beginning of their salvation. Coming to the feet of Jesus at the foot of the cross and learning and realizing that the willpower, that cross weakened that willpower and cut it by the legs that gave the willpower of self, every argument it ever made was baseless. Cut it by the legs and gave gave us new legs to stand, to stand righteously, but to also know when to bow, when to get on our knees and who to get on our knees for. 
And so this sitting position where Jesus taught from, the, the other interesting about sitting is that it talks about how uh, when, when one sits, it's, when, it's, it's like a person who looks at his work completed and he can now sit. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father sitting. And the, the beautiful way of how he ministered was that it was almost this like twofold function of that he, he was sitting and resting, knowing that all things were at his feet, that all power had been given to him. And yet sitting and resting in the knowledge of who his father is and the ministry that the father had given him. He could minister from that place of rest and at the same time be on the ground with man, identifying with humanity and operating with man, showing man what life can look like dependent on the Spirit and in obedience to the Father. So I love the sitting position and, um, and that it started with Jesus taking his disciples up because I think for us as followers and disciples, it's learning to not just love the Jesus of miracles and activity and the things he does for us and the things he does for others, but it's going to that place to sit with him where he is just sitting, where he is not in any type of mode of operation uh, that looks like doing certain things, but he is sitting and he's simply teaching. And every word from his mouth is life to the soul that wants to hear it sitting in his feet. Um, you know, it talks about the um, the disciples <clears throat> when um, Jesus, you know, says to them, "Let me wash your feet." And um, but before that, it says that you know the the enemy uh, prompted Judas to betray Jesus. And the very next line talks about how Jesus knew that the Father had given him all things, that all authority was given to him, and that he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. Again, such a profound verse, such a profound statement, because it talks more, it's not just words, but it's the posture of Christ. That, that even though knowing he was about to be betrayed, he knew where he came from, he knew what had been given to him, he knew that he was sitting with the Father, he would be sitting with the Father, right? Everything at his feet, he knew that was going to happen, right? And then it says he got up, wrapped a towel around himself and he went and washed his disciples' feet. Now, the disciples have had their moments where already they are asking Jesus, who is greater? Who is greater? Who, where am I going to be sitting? Fighting for the throne instead of fighting for the towel. And Jesus is saying, today's the day I want you to learn. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to pour my life out and wash your feet. And I expect you to do to one another as I'm doing to you. Now, here's the thing of the poor spirit position. It is your most secure and confident position. Because you know that you have received life. You know that you are, as much as you are being act active in pouring your life out as a drink offering, you're sitting on the throne with Christ. You have a seated position in the heavenlies, as Ephesians talks about. That because of Christ, we have the wealth of investment in us, God's wealth of investment in us. Do you know, when I first became a Christian... Now you guys are going to be like, oh my goodness, how shallow. But I was a, a young, uh, I can't remember how old I, how old I was, 20, 21 I think. And um, 
it, you know, it was probably a time in my life where I was making the most money I've ever made in my life. Um, I, I had a certain job, and um, it, it was sales-based, and and then, um, you know, this had this encounter with God where he just came in, made himself at home, and woke me up to his reality. But I remember one of the first questions I was asking in this process of like, what is going on in me? Because I had no control of what was going on. And, but I had this concern. I was like, one of my questions was to this pastor who, I don't even want to think what he was thinking at the time, but I was like, do I have to be poor to be holy? This was a legit question. I needed to know. Look, I was ambitious. There were things I wanted to do. I wanted, I was like hungry for a career and the high life, okay? And so this was a concerning question to me. And um, I can't remember what he said. I've, I've probably blocked it out of my mind, to be honest. But, <laughs> oh, but you know what? It's like today... I'm like, yeah, you need to be poor in spirit in a sense of we need, we need to, for me at that point, I was, I, was spiritual, I was in a spiritual poverty. I realized that everything I had around me and the life I thought I had was dead. And I was in spiritual poverty. And that's when my life, I was rescued. And from that day, it's like, being born again, being born from above, from that new viewpoint, you now understand that that very source that rescued you is now the life source to to the life ahead, right? And it's this enriched life. Like, I, I, I am richer than I've ever been, right? Only purely because of Christ in me, the life, him, you know, in. Um, and so... Um, it reminded me of the woman um, in Luke. Um, one second. Luke seven thirty six. Right. It's this, it's my heading is the sinful woman forgiven. And it says that one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman came in um, and she knew that Jesus was at the table and she brought her her alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And she stood there behind him weeping. She began to wash her feet with tears, wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. The Pharisees who had invited Jesus saw this and to himself thought, if this man was really a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. And of course, Jesus having this beautiful insight into man's heart totally confronts him in the, in the moment. And he says, Simon, I have something to ta- say to you. And he gives this parable of the creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 and the other owed 50 denarii. And when they had nothing which to repay, he freely forgave them both. And then Jesus says to Simon, tell me, therefore, which of them would love him more? And Simon said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you, are right, you, are, you have rightly judged. 
Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed it with the fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, it's this parable that shows such a contrast between two, two debtors, the amount of debts, the forgiveness of debt, but more importantly, the two differences in gratitude. In gratitude to who Jesus was and what they've done. And so we see the, the minimal hospitality of the Pharisee compared to the lavish devotion of this woman who is so thankful with such gratitude of who Jesus was before her. See, the one who realizes his own sin and own state realizes the greatness of God's mercy and kindness towards them. And it's, it's from that place of, of truly coming to understand that poor in spirit, that brokenness before Christ that realizes the depths of his mercy, the length of his loving kindness has come and poured itself out on, on us, that it, it empowers this life to know, man, I've just received everything. I'm in now a new position. And it changes the posture of that sinner's heart to a saint. But then can live this poor in spirit life that that is in the secure position of knowing who we are, yet we can now pour ourselves out for others as a drink offering. In 1 Peter 2, it says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. um, And to those who don't believe, this is the cornerstone. And again, I just love this picture of the believer who believes Jesus, who, who drinks in every word he has to say, they will find themselves at the feet of Jesus. They will find themselves with that... Um, with that poor in spirit, longing for every word he has to say, longing for his presence to just literally be at his feet, not worried about time. They treat Jesus as as precious. They treat him as precious and they will devote their lives to the one who saved them. And for the, the, those who are prideful in spirit, who think they know everything, who are self-dependent, they are the ones that break themselves against the rock. So it's this beautiful picture of this woman, um, of being poor in spirit and yet knowing where she needs to get her source from. And it's from there that we, we live and we truly come alive. Cool. I'm going to finish there. Thanks, Sam. Fantastic. Thank you. All right, I'm just going to invite up our panel now. And we're going to jump into a discussion about some of what we've heard from Mel um, and another passage that we're going to be looking at.
Cool. Whoa. All right, that was massive, eh? Um, and I think, like, uh, um, you know, like we talked about last week, JG, mind send that in? Thanks, mate. Um, you know, this poor in spirit position really is the doorway and the entryway to life in Christ. Eh? You know, it's the starting point. There's no accident that it's the first beatitude. Um, and, and like Mel shared, this posture of humility that then is not just our starting point, but it's actually the posture that we live from as followers and, and believers in Christ. Hey? And so this evening, um, we're going to be continuing our journey through the Beatitudes, looking again at um, what it means to be poor in spirit. Um, and, you know, it's, it's okay that we're looking at the same passage two weeks in a row. <laughs> and, uh, that Paul says, it's no problem for me to write the same thing again to you. In actual fact, it's a safeguard for you. Why? Because this is not just about smashing through and blasting through particular passages of Scripture. This is about entering into the life and the word that lies behind the words. And I think, how long are we going to be staying on what it means to be poor in spirit? Maybe until we become poor in spirit. <laughs> and, and so we may stay another week or two. We may stay the whole year. Who knows? <laughs> um, but this this. Poverty of spirit is so vitally important for us to come into, so we're going to be unpacking it again tonight, if that's cool. Oh, we'll watch this space. (laughs) We may answer your question. All right, so this evening we're going to be looking at um, Philippians chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. And um, there's some key things, I think, for us to draw in here, um, as well as some of what we've heard from, from Mal this evening. So Philippians chapter 2, and I think we'll start from verse 1. The title in the Nazbe is, Be Like Christ. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection or compa- uh, and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now here we go. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Powerful little passage, eh? 
powerful little passage that describes what it means, I think, to, to be the body of Christ, the representatives of Christ on the earth. And um, we're going to start from verse 5, um, which says, Has, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant. Interesting the way he starts it off, hey, have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. Now this is one of those big time passages, eh? It's almost like we see in in Matthew 5, just before that we get to the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, now guys, I've just got a small instruction for you. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. (laughs) Guys, have this attitude in yourself. Don't, don't just try and um, copy my actions. Have my very heartbeat, my very mind, have the very source of life that I lived from in you. Now, it's one of those commandments that unless there's a promise attached to it, it's almost like we're completely flawed of ever being able to live out what it is that he commands us to. But this is a great mystery of the gospel, is that Christ is inviting us into the very same attitude that he lived from. Um, and so I've got my first question for the panel. I probably don't need to, to grab it out on my phone. Is, you know, it says you know, that we're to have this attitude. What is that attitude? What is the attitude that Christ lived from, this poor in spirit position? What, what was the attitude that he's, that he's describing here? I've already preached today. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's um, love for the Father and to do his will kind of sums it all up but it's it's coming out in a life that's laid down it's coming out in a an attitude which prefers others good over over his own it has a humility of mind it's not um, it's not um, Grasping at his own rights, um, there's there's a, a willingness to to go to do to be what is needed because of love. In a nutshell. It's interesting, eh, that you talk about rights, you know, because I think Jesus, who came as God in the flesh, you know, if there's any person to walk the earth that had rights, it's God, right? And yet it says that he laid aside his privileges as God and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, you know? And to me, it's like, what is that attitude that he didn't, take up the right to be treated well, the right to be appreciated, respected, honoured, revered, even revered as God or as a teacher or as an apostle, he, he didn't need to enforce that right, but he made himself, you know, 
He, he made himself obedient even to the point of death on the cross, you know. And you can just see, you know, to me it's, it's fascinating, you know, even to the point of death on the cross. And you can imagine how the gospel story would play out pretty differently if Jesus wasn't poor in spirit, eh? You know, he's on his way to the cross. He's receiving, you know, he receives some lashes on the back. Then they pull out his beard and all of a sudden he's like, guys, that's it. I've had enough, you know. It's gone. You've gone one step too far. You know. Do you know? Do you not know who I am? You know. Taking, but that's not how the story of the gospel plays out. He lays aside his privileges, his right to be God, and, and like we heard Mel share before, you know, he doesn't say no one. He says no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. You know, um, that that and that for him. While we hear that that poverty of spirits, actually not an impoverished position. It's a position full of power and of grace and of strength that's on the inside. Hey, you know, and so he didn't need to be appreciated or thanked to be able to operate from this um, humble um, life that that he lived. Hey, you know, I think. When when he, when he arrived, he makes everything harder. <clears throat> so when Jesus arrived on the earth, he he took it up like a hundred levels to show mankind man's inability to live at this level. And the worst thing you can try and do is try to be humble. You know, you <laughs> see, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> He comes from the being realm, but we're all from the doing realm. He comes from the imitating realm, and we come from the copying realm. And so the the worst thing you can do is go, right now, I have to try, listen to this, regard one another as more important than you. I've got to try really hard now to think of others more than me. You'll last about how long? A day. You're doing well. Because this is all of the Spirit. So he, when I, for me, it's, it's easy, I find it actually hard to describe what this attitude is. Because it's not earthly. I go, it's a way of being. It's not a way of doing, it's a way of being. It's just something that he just oozed out of him. He wasn't trying to be humble, he was. Why? Because he was of his father and his father was of him. And it's a spiritual way of being. So to not know the things of the spirit and the ways of the spirit, you can't be humble because it's contained in the spirit. All these beatitudes are spiritual attitudes. They're not natural attitudes. And the worst thing you can try and do, you see, Simon the Pharisee is getting found out for being arrogant with what Mal just shared. He can't be that. He's just naturally doing all he knows. you know. And Jesus is proving the point. So Jesus comes, he says, you've heard it say eye for an eye. I now tell you love the one that actually kills you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to model something to you and I'm going to share things that you have no capacity within yourself to achieve to show your absolute need that I'm in you and you're in me. So it, it's, an, it's a way of being because Christ is within you and it's not something you even consciously try to do. You just are. That's how innate it is.
I remember when I was a kid, I once heard it preached. Uh, there's a, a pastor, not not from from here, but I think back in my old church community, he said, you know, I, I always used to go and clean the toilets to keep myself humble, you know. And what we're hearing here is a completely different reality to that, you know. It's saying, actually, you there's nothing that you can do to make yourself humble. You know, when, the, when he says humble yourself, he's not talking about doing something to make yourself humble. He's talking about entering into his inner attitude that we're talking about here, you know. But when you are humble, you will clean the toilets, not because you're doing it to somehow prove that you're humble, but you're doing it because you actually genuinely are. That's right, you know. And the way that you live is just an expression of your attitude of being, you know, as opposed to your... In a, your, because of your lack of being, you know, and so I think it's um, it's a place of strength and security to be able to to live like that, you know. Um, so. Yeah, just it's it's so not a place of being impoverished, like in Christ. It's um, it it fascinates me that Jesus didn't jealously retain his glories, his privileges, all the benefits of being the only begotten son. But in fact, he, he was willing and voluntarily shared himself and made the way for all of us to come into the richness and the inheritance that God has, has for his children. And that, again, that's not something we can muster up. We to, to, to be able to share in the benefits and not try retain things for ourselves to preserve what we have as ours. And we, we I can't share that because there's not enough. It's not enough for everyone. So it's just for me, the only child, you know, it's Jesus didn't live like that. He poured himself out that we would all share in the riches and the glory um, of God. And, and so that, yeah, it's, it's so not an impoverished position. But when we are poor in spirit, we it's a, such a rich position and it's 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 as it's, as i was saying earlier jesus knowing knowing who he was knowing everything that belonged to him there was no fear of pouring that out or sharing in that it was a heart's desire wasn't it yeah i'm just gonna say and mel sort of alluded to it. it's a, it's a knowing it's not an understanding in the brain first. So as you are, you know it. It's not something you and so you can hear I'm sorry, it's not something you go, right, now I've got to try and figure how to be poor in spirit. You either are or you're not. And when you are, you know it. It's really simple. You know what it means to be poor in spirit when you are poor in spirit. Because the word has done the work because it's of the spirit. So when the spirit does the work of the spirit in you, you're poor in spirit. It's that simple. And so then you know it. You have the knowledge of it, which means now you can demonstrate the wisdom of it. Because children of God vindicate the wisdom of God. And wisdom is demonstrated. It's not something I attain here as my priority, it's something I live because I know it. So out of the wisdom, Christ in me, the knowledge, the knowing, I'm poor in spirit. Just a way of being. It's real simple. It's beautiful. It defines everything. So if someone you described, 
is it you know either you are or you're not if someone finds themselves in the not position what what does that look like you'll be living for you you'll think of you you won't be able to think of others first see it starts to, to understand really where we started you've got to understand verse 1 if there is any encouragement in Christ if there is any consolation of love if there is any fellowship of the spirit oneness if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love united in spirit intent on one purpose do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit someone who's poor in spirit does nothing from selfishness or empty conceit so if you spend a lot of time consumed in you that's proud of spirit because there's only two you're either humble or proud doesn't mean God doesn't love you but your life will tell you whether you're humble of spirit or proud in spirit you'll choose you over him that's what Peter did didn't he Peter wants to wash his foot oh, Peter's the guy that denied him why do you think Peter was Humble in spirit or proud in spirit? Well, his life is showing, showing us, isn't it? I will go to death with you. It sounds humble. And then when he's asked to go to death, he's found out. Spirit of pride came out of him. And so just be honest with yourself, and this is what I said this morning, and look at your own life. And don't go, well, I am it because I'm afraid of being the other. You've got to be able to allow to look at your life with God, knowing God loves you, and go, where am I really at? Well, let's have a look at my life. And I'll have a look at how much time is spent with me and how much time is spent with him and loving others. And what Mel said was Jesus laid his life down. Okay? A person who's humble in spirit has laid their life down for the purposes of the one they've laid it down for. Never to be picked up again because you're humble in spirit. So you can do what Jesus did and it's a choice because you have the power in you to lay your life down. So no one forces you to lay it down out of being humble in spirit, you choose to lay it down and serve the one who you're laying it life down for. And you're full on on board with him and his will. So that's what it looks like. And it's like it's certainly not a victim mentality, eh? You know, it's 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 not being being poor in spirit is that, that no one can take away from from you, you know, and so situation doesn't make you a victim, it actually makes you victorious when you're in him, you know, and when you have this um, attitude in you that your life is not actually not about you anymore, it's about him and about others, eh? you know. All right, should we move on to question two? Um, so it says here in this passage in Philippines that Jesus emptied himself, and I've put here. Why did Jesus need to empty himself? And why is that part of being poor in spirit?
Well, I guess what what I was thinking was in terms of so he has all the power of God, all the attributes of God, and he comes as a man. And there's a reason why he comes as a man, and he doesn't come just as God, because he's got in mind to show us that it's possible for us as people, as men and women, to live this life of righteousness by the Holy Spirit. So if he hadn't come as a man, then we wouldn't be able to follow suit. We would just say, oh, that's Jesus. We're just humans. So we've got a constant out um, which is not the truth. He came as he came as man. A constant excuse, say, for not living like him, you know. And I think that that's you know when we we hear like, like a word like we heard this morning, or when the reality of life hits, if if we see that he's come as a man to demonstrate what's possible as a man, empowered by the Holy Spirit, then the only excuse we have left is to repent, right? You know, and and to ha- allow His Word to pierce our hearts. You know, there's I mean, or well, there's two there's two options: either you you repent or you harden your heart through unbelief and sell yourself short of who you were chosen and called to be. Eh? You know, and so it's it is it's it's quite a confronting and challenging place. Eh? Um, yeah, just John one fourteen when it said word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It, it's what you were saying that Jesus um, himself, you know, identifying with humanity himself by coming in the form of flesh, that he could actually be amongst us um, to share with us um, and the things that humanity. Uh, sort of has to go through and it says that he was um, tempted at every point and he went through things that you know life has that we all go through but it was to identify with us but in a, in a way of being the ultimate high priest you know who could identify with the sacrifice um, and 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 yet show us that there's a a higher call, a higher way to live um, as heaven on the earth, um, but but it's not to not if that's not without identifying with people. Otherwise, it is just the lofty God idea. He lives up there. He has no understanding of what I go through. He has, you know, it's he, it's this personal identifying with his people um, and to to have fellowship, I guess, as well. Um, but that, that emptying out, I thought, it, again, if, if I think of myself with Christ in me or in us, what that looks like, identifying with one another, again, it's being able to share in each other's um, burdens, but it's also demonstrating the life of Christ in it all through through the walking out in the the other way, the Christ's way in and through things. And that it, it causes us all to, to actually be on the equal playing field without benefits, without one being more favoured than the other or anything like that, but simply Christ in us, that's what we're having fellowship in. And so we can identify with one another, that there's no hierarchy or anything like that. There's the equality at the foot of the cross. We've all been saved. We've all been born again. And by the power of heaven in us, we can all live the uh, you know heaven on earth and so 
yeah, that pouring out is like it just causes us all to be on that equal playing field, but li- but all empowered to live the higher life, which is in Christ. Can I ask a question? Um, just take it back just a little bit around <clears throat> being able to live this out. How? How do you, what do you and I need to be able to be poor in spirit? I think this is a question for the room. <laughs> um, okay, um, I think one answer to that is to do with how we fellowship with one another. Um, we can receive something of Christ through how we fellowship with Christ and one another. And if somebody's poor in spirit and if we're willing to humble ourselves and have fellowship with them where they're at we can receive something through that how do you have fellowship with one another it's the same question how do you be humble how do you have fellowship how do you get free how do you become one with him Okay, so death to self. How does one die? If, if, I, if I gave you all a gun and said, right, you've all got your gun, put it to your head and pull the trigger, how many are you going to do it? But, how many of you reckon we could do it? None of you, eh? Because there's something greater in you going, don't pull the trigger, because if you pull the trigger, you're going to die. A little bit like the analogy with the sword. So before any of us can actually be, something has to happen and it needs to continue to happen. Otherwise, we, we, the, the, the thing is we can just, it's so easy just to glitter past and stay the same. Who wrote Philippians? What happened to Paul? Right. And so does, is Paul writing from revelation or just theory? And how does he get revelation? Through the Spirit of God, which is the Word of God, showing him. If we're not receiving the Word, the Gospel, it's just nice dialogue. Okay? And so the Gospel does it all. The Word of God creates humility. It creates being poor. Pure in heart, it creates a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. It's the instrument of change. So I must receive what Paul received to have oneness with what he's talking about, because he's actually speaking from revelation. So I must receive it in me for me to have any ability to live this. Otherwise, all I'm going to do is try, and that's called under the law. Trying to work out this by myself and strength and effort. That's, I think, where we're at as the body of Christ. Not as a whole. Trying rather than being. And so we can't go past this. This, this first beatitude, this, this is like life and death. This isn't like, oh, let's just 
This, this thing, is, it's won or lost here. It's a first. In the beginning was the word. It's a first place. Don't get first place sorted. Second's messed up. Third is messed up. Fourth is messed up. The end is messed up. But you try to be a follower. And you're following the example, correct? Not just going for a walk. So when he said, come follow me, really for three and a half years, they were going for a walk. They only really didn't start following the example until after they received power within. Then they were actually becoming the example of Christ. You can follow Christ all over the place and not be the example of Christ and follow him. So it's about becoming him, not God, Christ-like. And so there's a, you, you can't leave this place until. And it just makes me think of in First Corinthians, you know, Paul says, you know, like, he says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God, you know. And I think, like, what Greg's describing, it, it is foolishness, but when you have tasted it, it's it's life, you know. It, you know, it's, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. Like we've heard, there's a like there's a there's a being saved that happens at the beginning, and then there's a being saved that continues to happen as we continuously continuously receive the word of God within us, you know. And I think this is why Paul says, "I only preach Christ and Him crucified." Not all of these different things. Actually, it centers around one thing, which is revelation, knowledge of who he is and what he's done in, inside of us, you know. So. Do we have any other questions about, any other questions specifically about that? About what it means to, to enter into being poor in spirit or what it means for the the cross to go to work within us. And I guess that's why what we've heard is so important because how do we live like that unless we've received the work of the gospel within us? Is it on topic? Oh, yes. Um, Thank you. Um, Is it a state that people can have in them without Christ? I guess this is for all of the Beatitudes. Hmm, Okay, that's interesting. It's him in you. So it's just him manifesting out of you. And we're back to the same thing again. See, the simplicity of the gospel. What did Paul say? Paul said, I'm afraid, Corinthians, you've been led astray 
in your mind from the simplicity and the purity of a devoted life to Christ. You're looking for things in life that don't exist. You're looking beyond the simplicity of it's in Christ. So you need a devoted life to Christ. The challenge is we're devoted to all other things. So we split our heart into 16 pieces and go, I'm devoted to my wife, my children, my sport, my job, my this, my that. So now I've got a 16th that's devoted to Christ. Well, he's competing for all the other 15 parts. How much revelation do you think you're going to get from Christ if he's competing on 15 levels? How much time? See, he's saying, what he's saying to these guys is, guys, you're looking in the wrong place. Yeah. It's right in front of you, but it's concealed. Concealed, and you can't see it. It's in him. And it's so simple that you're missing it. Because man doesn't like simple. Man likes complicated, so he can figure it out in his head. Yeah. And yet, it stops us from living this life, which is simple. It's only mis- I hang up with Ben Hewitson, and he said this most profound thing to me. He said, "It's not a mystery when you're in Christ." He said, "Christ was very basic with what he said: do this, do that." He said, "It's when you try to understand it in your mind that it becomes a mystery." To him, it's very simple. We confuse it all because we're trying to understand it, and we're being led astray from the simplicity of knowing Him. When you know him, you know how you live. Because it's just a way of being. It's just Christ. The whole thing is Christ in us. But of course, what we like, we like to break it into parts. So we talk about joy, peace, love. Have you found all the parts yet? Well, I missed, lost that bit, so now I need to go find that bit. And now that I've got that bit, oh my goodness, where's that bit gone? And see, it's not, that's actually flesh. That's all the flesh. It's just through revelation. And, and I mean, this is the message I know he's given me, which I know the flesh hates, is we are incapable. Completely incapable of this. And you have to arrive at that part, and then poor in spirit is birthed inside you. Because you break and you repent and you're a mess. And you go, I can't figure this or do this out. He goes, well done, Greg. I've been waiting t- 10 years for you to get to that place. And it's the place every follower has to get to, guys. I'm not trying to be horrible. I'm not trying to be a killjoy. It's the truth. And until you get there, you're trying to figure it out, and you're going around the mountain, and you're missing out on life. You know, it's... For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness. Was he weak? No. Yet he lives because of the power of God. Talking about Christ. For we also are weak in him, yet we live with him because of the power of God. It's all based on the power of God. To take dead people, raise them up to brand new. Now live. I think Linda, that's a it's a fantastic question, and I think like you know we've we've done we did um, you know pretty much all of 2019 on the divine nature 
of Abba, you know, or the divine nature of our Father. We looked at First Corinthians um, thirteen for a whole year. You know, love is patient, love is kind, um, and you know, it says that these are the divine attributes of God. They're the fruits of the Spirit. They're not the fruits of being a, a good person. You know, um, and I think that this is why this message is so confronting. It's is because you need God in you to be able to live like God. You know, and I know, like for example. My mum is a lovely person, but she's not a Christian. So is she going to demonstrate the divine nature? Is she going to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit? You know, Well, naturally not. You know, And I think that that's, this is the dividing line, you know, is that as the body of Christ, we are to demonstrate not a good life. We're not just to be good people who do nice things. We're to demonstrate a divine life and a heavenly life. And in Hebrews 3, it says, you know, that the church are to become partakers of a heavenly calling. And like, and this is the bigness of what we're called to. There's no other body on the earth that's going to demonstrate that, that this if it's not us, you know. And so as a church of God, our, our role here is, is to demonstrate the nature of God because we've received that nature on the inside, you know. Um, and he says, in, um, I think it's First Peter, he says, he's given us his precious and magnificent promises so that we may become partakers of a divine nature, you know. That all the promises of God are focused on this one central thing, becoming participants and partakers of a divine nature, you know. And so this is the beauty and the power of the gospel, that we can, through Christ, live in a way that we never could have dreamed of without him, you know. Um, And I think that this is, it's why, as Greg shared this morning, it's either a foul stench or it's an incredible aroma. Because depending on, you know, Jesus says, be careful how you hear. Because you either hear this as, I've been, I'm being condemned, you know, I've been locked out of this, you're, you're drawing a dividing line, there's an in club and an out club, or any, you know, or anything like that. Or you hear it as a heavenly calling, and it's who you are predestined to be when he's inside of you, you know. And so it is a, um, it, it's such a high calling, and it's for for us, you know. As I was reading the the beginning of Matthew, and um, I love what you bought out of that Matthew five. You see, there's an operating system that's within us as the church and it's this standing and doing like the priests used to every year they would be standing and doing their offering but Jesus when he he became the sacrifice he then sat down and as Mel said it was a finished work and that it's very significant the, that all of this going up the hill, you will never come into the high things of God by being in the crowd where the crowd are. It will always be when you are going where he's going. And he didn't come to them and preach this. There was a responsibility to go to him. The, the disciples came to him mm. and he actually distributed himself yes. he, he did that when he fed the 5,000 
He actually distributed himself, and every time he's teaching, he's distributing himself. And without himself, the living word, doing that work on the inside that we can't do, we can't come into what he's proclaiming. But the very word that he's proclaiming has the power within it to change us. And it causes this utter... um, dividing of an old system and an old way we were constantly trying to come into life through our own understanding through trying to grasp it and he's doing that which which cuts into the very piercing into the the innermost being to show us that that's impossible mm. and the word has to do that mm. to bring us into the actual fruit of that word which is going to be the life because we get to that point of I can't, I just can't do it I want it I, I so desperately want it but we have to come to the point where we realise we can't you know. and I know for me it took a long time and, and a breaking to come to the point where I knew I can't I just can't but what it does is it creates such a gratefulness of receiving this gift that was never meant to be earned, was never meant to be, um, you know, got from that position of striving. I think that's such a picture of the association and the participating, right? Of the disciples going out to participate and be partaking in what Christ is sharing, you know, his word, the bread of life himself, compared to the association you know, in the masses and watching from afar what's going on. Um, but it's that, it's that engaging and participating, which I think leads quite well into the question about the bondservant. Like, yeah. what is a bondservant? And <clears throat> I was thinking about this, like, I've never have I sh- been shown such kindness, such love, such patience, such uh, long-suffering um, from any other being than Christ. And so it, in, in receiving this love, you, can't, you don't want to go anywhere else. You yoke yourself to that because you're like, I will go through anything yeah. through this life, whatever comes at me, and I want to be yoked with him. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that bond servant of, I am free to go. I am free to be otherwise, but I don't want to be. I want to be here where he is. I want to be where he goes. I want to go, and I know, I know now that with him, the direction that my life has taken, the things that I've seen, have all been um, things that, that there is. There's no way I could have seen or attained in any other way, you know. And so this this partaking and participating in his life causes us to be these bond servants that voluntarily. Uh, cling and and live um, in and side by side with him. And um, I remember a few years ago, I I found this beautiful piece that someone had written about being 
uh, the wife of, of Christ, and it talks about this bond servant that she, you know that she is his representation, and she goes every day running his errands for him, and she she protects him and looks out for him, has his back, you know, cares for his reputation, cares for his heart, takes care of him, and I I so resonated with it, and it was so beautiful, and I put I, I remember putting it up on on my Facebook page, and and it was a picture of me, me and Kirk in the background on our wedding day. And honestly, the comments that came my way of like, how can you see yourself as a servant to your husband? That's crazy. That's so old school thinking. Like, what are you, how can you even see it that way? And I thought, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is a spiritual reality. This, this love that we come into with Christ as our husband, this being a bond servant, it's, it's uh, greater than anything we can, we can ever know. And yet, I can still put a picture up of my husband and go, I love my husband in that way of a sense of, because I've received such love, it's demonstrated through every relationship and environment. And so it's like there's no shame in being called a bond servant. There's no shame in being a slave to love. You know, it's, it also says, um, you know, owe, owe no one anything but love. You're in debt to love. And I'm, I, I so get that. It's like I'm in debt to love. And because of the love I've received, I owe love to others in the same way, you know. But there is no shame in that position, you know. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. How does that influence the way you live your life for the body as well? Yep. Because it's a dual thing, yeah? Absolutely. So bond servant to Christ, yep, yep. and that's the main. Yep. And then it transitions into a, how does, how does share your testimony of your life laid down yeah. And being in a body rather than just it being this one-on-one thing. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess the love, I feel, I feel it's like um, I wake up energized by love, right? I wake up energized by love and the thought of, okay, today is a new day. Um, thank you for this day. Thank you that you live in me. What does today look like? What are you asking me to do with today? And of course, every day is I carve time out to, to literally be with him. Um, but then it's, it's in that time that I'm with him. And it's not necessarily just when I'm sitting with him, but it's, it will be on the go when I hear him. And it's like, speak to this person, reach out to this person, write this down. Um, you know, center uh, or order your day around God's people and him. And order your life <laughs> in in pouring yourself out um, in different ways of expressing love and how he's told me to. So it will look different every day, but every day is a is a is a a gift to to see as he does. <laughs> so it's a, a life laid down for him, and yep. it's a life laid down for people. Yep, yep, yep. and to see people come into. Everything I know that he has has shown me, which is obviously only to measure, you know, but it's enough to go, man, <laughs> let's have more, let's feast together, let's, you know, partake together. And um, I, I find any activity outside of that is just, that's cool, you know, but like there's nothing like partaking 
together in Christ, and uh, I, I literally live off that. And tell me if it's based on a functional role or a position, this life. Yeah. Um, or a position. It's, it's position, position in the receiving. Okay, hold on. No, but you don't do it because you don't live this way because you have a position. But I don't have a position. That's what I mean. <laughs> what do you you mean? don't have right. a position. So it's, no. not, it's not done because I get this. This is my position. I live like this. Yeah. I don't live like this because I'm actually married to Kirk or my mum. Right, I right. I live like this no. because. Yeah, I'm like, I don't have a position. But I do have a position in the heavenlies, right? And that's, and that's no, I know that sounds a bit cringy. But, but I literally know that. Like, I have a seat and he's given me a crown and I... I am a co Like, I just, it's, that is a position. But, yeah, I don't have a, <laughs> you know, yeah. I have roles. <laughs> but they've all come. The roles, even the functioning roles, has come from the position I know in Christ. And uh, that's, that's naturally emerged, you know, by just living. It's just come. It's functioning. Yeah. And what I hear is because he's in you, that's expressed in your marriage, it's expressed in your relationships with people in the body, it's expressed in the way that you serve and the roles that you do then function in all come from this heavenly place, right? You know? You yeah, can't I try. <laughs> well, not I try, but you know what I mean. Like I, I feel like we're all to a measure doing that, you know. I don't feel like it's yeah. just me. Yeah, oh, no, I was saying is, it's, it's not just about your husband or just about the body, it's, cons- it's an all environment. So. Absolutely. It's holistic, right? Yeah. It's nice to go a bit because but it, but it, we need to hear this. Yeah. Because it, it sacrifices, eh? Yeah. And you're praying when no one else is praying, eh? And you're having conversations when other people aren't having the conversations, eh? It's all of it. And you place yourself where other people necessarily place themselves because they're not in this life. Mm-hmm. And you don't do it to try and look good, but you do it because of the life in you. You're propelled. That's right. And you've tasted something that is, that is so beyond anything that it's... it's a, I, I get why Christ wanted to share his life as a drink offering. I get it. I... It's too good not to share, and there's too much not to share. To, to think that there's any lack, or there's not enough, or if someone gets ahead of me, or however that might look, that's a, that's a position where you're, you're inhibited by your own thinking, your own... Um, you, don't, you haven't yet experienced the spacious life of Christ, that, that there's so much in abundance that... Um, that there's room for everyone, there's enough for everyone, and not to just survive, but to literally abound in grace. And we're so enriched. Yeah. Do we have any last questions before we wrap up for the evening? On topic questions of what we've been looking at? No, that's cool. Father, I want to thank you for just how good you are to us. How truly good you are to us. 
God, I thank you that you have made it so simple. So simple for us to to just receive and believe in who you say you are. Who you say you are. And God, I I thank you for the the privilege it is to literally have access to sit and be with you. To know that any wasting of time at your feet is not time wasted with the God who's outside of time. It's not measured by quantity, but it's this quality of time and life found in you. I thank you that you you literally poured yourself out as a drink offering for us who are thirsty to drink you in and to drink deep. The well of life that never ends. The supply that never ends, that just is ongoing, ongoing, continuous. I thank you that there's more than enough for all of us to partake in. I thank you that there are, there are seats for all of us to sit in. I thank you that the throne is there and for us to sit in heavenly places, but, but it's not to fight over the throne, but to fight for that towel, to lay our lives down for one another to wash each other's feet, to be cleansed in the word. I thank you for the word this morning, the piercing, the dividing. I thank you for the repentant hearts, the aroma of those hearts this morning. Thank you that it's so pleasing to you, God, to see people um, break to the point that they, they would experience this new life of being founded in you, bonded with you, connected to you, yoked with you. Oh God, I pray we would know the richness of your goodness, your kindness and your love. That, that rich inheritance we are to all receive and to believe. We love you, God, and we thank you tonight we could be together. Thank you for this family. And I pray, God, we will lay our lives down for one another, that we would we would all gather each other in. Those that we see on the peripheral, I pray we would stretch our arms wide, pull each other in, gather in to see your face, Lord, to be pure in hearts. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Have a fantastic week. Uh, We've got a special treat for you next week. We've got Luke Harris who's going to be sharing with us. Yeah, I reckon. All right, so come back next week and um, we'll see you then.